What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance. And you know we're talking about business. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away. I refuse to be the man I was yesterday. Gotta put my best and before we introduce today's guest, my man Eric from Hunts Vegas, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday spotlight, my brother? Black Men Sunday is about information empowerment. So I'm just trying to lay some facts on you. If you haven't heard, um, I'm going to let you be the first. This past Tuesday, the 82nd anniversary of Emmett Till's birth, President Joe Biden is going to sign a proclamation established on the Emmett Till and Mammy Till Mobley National Monument in Illinois and Mississippi. Now, this new monument will protect and uplift the spaces that tell the story of Till's abbreviated life and racially motivated murder, and the unjust acquittal of his murderers and the activism of his mother, Mammy Till Mobley, who courageously brought the world's attention to the brutal injustices and racism of that time. Now, this monument will be located at three separate locations, which will exist. One will be Illinois and Mississippi, including the Roberts Temple Church of God of Christ in Brunzelle, and which is an historically black neighborhood on Chicago's South Side, where thousands of people gathered to mourn and bear witness of Till's death in September of 1955. Now, this monument in Mississippi will include Gabriel Landing, believed to be where Till's mutilated body was pulled from the Tallahatchie uh, River. And the third was gonna be in Tallahatchie County, the school district courthouse in Summer, Mississippi. Now this is where Till's murders were tried by an all white jury and of course he was all acquitted. Now the uh, destination, this destination of these uh, monuments gonna reflect the the Biden-Harris administration, um, which has worked with, of course, you know, they've been always an advocate for civil rights and committed to protect the places that help tell a more complete story of our nation's history, which a White House, this is something that the White House has said. So that's my spotlight for today. If you haven't heard, you heard it now. Back to you, Corey. Yeah, that was a good spotlight, man. Because I think last week your spotlight was like ten seconds. I was like, damn, was but it was good though. But I was like, yeah, I need I need Eric to give us some spotlights. So I appreciate that. That was heavy hitting, great information, my brother. And how's the weather down in Hunts Vegas, by the way, man? Man, the weather here is. I mean, we're 80, 90 degrees, but we've been getting a lot of rain, a lot of rain. I mean, it is actually flooded here the last couple of days. So. I know y'all may maybe wish y'all was getting this rain. So, but here everything's great. Yeah, no, nah, we're not getting the rain. We just getting that hundred degree plus heat, and my AC went out, so it's rough in here. So, y'all good looking. Yeah, man, it's hot over here, man. But good looking on that spotlight, my brother. We Ain't appreciate no that. I'm glad all is well in Hunts Vegas. Grill me some ribs. I'm gonna have to come through there and do a show. I've been saying it for like the last ten shows, but I'm gonna have to yeah. come to Hunts Vegas really do a show there and eat some ribs there. So we're gonna have to do that. So I appreciate you, my brother. I got you. But now it's time to introduce today's guest. This is a brother to me. This is the best man in my wedding. This brother sent over his financial advisor, gave us a lot of tips. Simon Dog Bay out in Aspen. I don't, I don't know how many brothers I know out in Aspen. This brother's out there doing it big. This brother comes to us. You know, every time or every week, I always say this brother has a master's degree in public policy. He does from George Mason University. This brother also has a Bachelor of Arts in Interdisciplinary Studies from Norfolk State University. And his brother also went to North Carolina A&T. You know, I'm big on the black colleges because I went to FAMU. Eric went to Alabama A&M. But before we even get it going, my man Kalali Dogbay, and also he's a world traveler, and his wife, Louise Lennox, writes phenomenal books. Welcome to Black Man Sundays, brother. How you doing? Man, doing great. Yeah, you got me on a different seat now. You know what I'm saying? You got me... You know, I usually be with you asking the questions. So now I'm in the seat, you know, we just, we just up here talking like we used to do back in the day. Yeah, definitely, man. And let's go on and get started. You know, this show is about generational wealth, finance, and business. When I think of Virginia, 
you know, a lot of cats think of Missy and I think of you first. I think of generational wealth. I think of your family. I think of coming to your house on Friday nights, just having somewhere to post up coming from a single parent household. So I'm coming out the gates with the generational wealth question, brother. First off, what are you doing with your family to achieve generational wealth? Like what steps are you taking and how did being from Ghana and your family background, how did that incorporate and help you with the mindset of generational wealth? Oh yeah, wow, man. So uh, let's get into that. So, you know, uh, as you already alluded to, my parents are from Ghana and West Africa. You know, they came over here, uh, uh, both of them came, uh, immigrated to America, you know, uh, to get a better life and to bring a better life for, 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 um, for their children. So that's the first point is that it was always a mission of improvement. Like there were better opportunities in America than there were in Ghana. And so there was always that mission that our parents instilled from us, instilled in us, like, look, we came over here to get y'all opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise had. And so y'all need to make the best of that and try to and try to pass that on. And so that's what we've been. And so that's 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 the one point about generational wealth is that it's kind of in, like with the immigrant mindset is a little bit different because it's that's kind of what's what the mission is, is like, look. We're coming from somewhere else to get better, uh, better opportunities. Now, what you need to do as the next generation, as the kid, is take advantage of those opportunities and push it forward along to your kids. So that's that's the first point about just building generational wealth. I definitely. And the second half of that question is, you know, as a married man, two beautiful children, you know, I think you're the first cat outside of NBA cast that I know that lived that said he lived in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. I'm like, <laughs> OK, I see you. I see you. Bowie, Maryland areas for the cats that's in the know. So how are you establishing generational wealth with your family? Oh, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just trying to get them the best opportunities as possible and, and pushing out and taking advantage of like what we've been blessed to have. So, you know, as you said so many times on the show, I got a master's degree in public policy. I got an advanced degree. My wife has a couple of advanced degrees as well. And so, you know, what we try to do is just is just open our open our, our our aperture open our eyes up you know what i'm saying to all the different opportunities and leveraging the different networks uh that we have out there so she's spun off a business um she's now you know an author she's written i think over 10 books now already she started since covid so that's another business we started we're looking to get into real estate when you got two people who you know we have decent paying jobs and things like that you start looking around and wondering what should we do with our money and looking down the road. So for our kids, it's right now, you know, I got a six-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. It's about education. It's about education, uh, making sure that they have the best education possible because as they get better education, that's going to open up better opportunities for them. What people don't know is that like the quality of education you get oftentimes determines like what you're going to be like in the, in the future. So you know, I know, you know, I, I, I'm always, I, every time I come on the show, I'm always a proponent of advanced education. So it's like the more advanced education you got, the more things that you can do in terms of like being a leader, like running a business, like um, uh, being in government or being somewhere where you can actually run an organization that can do things like those things come with education. Like there's some people who can hustle and definitely have that talent for hustling and can, can do it, you know, saying without the education, but a lot of times when you get to them high levels of education, especially when we talk about college, you're talking about like Ivy league, you look at the Ivy league folks, they're the folks that's running everything. Like every time you, you know, every, you look at every president, they from the Ivy league, you look at all the senators from the Ivy league journalists, different people like that. They're from the Ivy league. So they're the ones that are really the ones who are determining like what, how we live and how we, and how we work and things like that. So the, so the main thing passing on to our kids is trying to make sure that they get the best education that they can. Like you said, we used to live in upper Marlboro and we actually moved. Um, that's, that's Prince George County. Uh, in Maryland. And we actually moved to Calvert County, Maryland, because they got better schools in Calvert County, Maryland. And so one of the things we wanted to do is make sure that our kids get the best quality education. And then we and then we're blessed enough to be able to support um, their education with other things like we, we, you know, we pay for tutors for the kids and different things like that. So that's the main thing right now uh, at this stage for them is education um, and then money attainment in terms of um, trying to save a little bit for down the road for when they do got to go to school and we can support that. 
Oh, great information. I'm loving this conversation, man. So just to build upon that, you know, I speak to a lot of brothers every week and they say, listen, man, you know, bills is high with the inflation. I just bought a house. I done paid like a half a mil paying 7%. I don't really have any money for to establish generational wealth for my family. So what advice would you give to brothers that say, listen, you know, I'm paycheck to paycheck. I don't really have me or the wife don't have the residual income to establish wealth, what tips can you give those brothers? Well, first of all, so I, so you talked about my uh, my cousin Simon. He put me on. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's the first thing. Put yourself around some people who who either know more than you or or are on the same level than you, are like minded with you, and trying to grow the same way you're growing. Like, that's that's the one thing you got to do because again, it's about networking. There's a lot of people out here who are successful who know things that you don't know. And are willing to share that information with you. That's that's why we do Black Men Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like we trying to bring the information to people who might not have access to people around them who can who can access that information. So it's the same thing for us. It's like uh, any it, for me at my level in my everyday life, I'm always connected with people who got more information than I do, or 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 are like minded and are looking to access the same information, and then we compare notes. So. As you said, my cousin, my cousin Simon is a, is a financial advisor. He actually put me on a question that he that he asked me from the get go. He was like, well, he was like, well, what's your biggest asset? You know what I mean? What's your biggest asset? So, um, you know, me and my wife, when we, when we were asked that question, we we're like, well, the house is. So you just talked about somebody who bought, oh, they bought, you know, whatever they bought, four hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand dollars house, whatever it is. That's your that's usually your quickest thing is to be like, well, my biggest asset is my house. But he, but he actually put me on. He was like, no, your biggest asset is you because you have unlimited earning potential. So what you got to do is you have to assess what are you doing now? What skills do you bring to the table? And how can you monetize those skills to bring in extra income? So for instance, as I was talking about my wife, she's always been interested in writing. So over COVID, she had some free time. She got, um, she got interested. She always wanted to write. She got interested in, um, uh, writing romance novels and so that's what she does as a business on the side to bring in extra income you know what i mean uh because of this show, because of us doing this show one of the things that i'm looking at really hard is is going to um is going to actually get my real estate license and and starting out and working in real estate and doing some different things with that so um it's really about understanding what your skill set are not not what your job is but what is your skill set you know what i'm saying what is what are the things that you can actually do out here and how can you monetize those things to bring in even more money than you're earning and that's one way that you can start to have some disposable income in terms of being able to you know establish some generational wealth and then you know again lessons that we learn from this show right you take whatever little dollar you got you try to figure out how to make that dollar work for you as opposed to you working for the dollar you know, one of the things I got from this show is just like, is it just hit me like kind of like an epiphany was like, okay, so every dollar you got is like a little soldier that that's supposed to be working for you. You know what I'm saying? So you got to figure out how to make that soldier work. And if you're not figuring out how to make that soldier work, then that soldier is just basically a drag on your income or it's going to get sucked up in some other frivolous thing that you want to do. So um, those, those are the things that, like I said, I learned a lot of that just from being on the show. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. You quoting Quan you know? was talking about them little soldiers working for him. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, I, you know, that was one thing that stuck with me because it was real. Because like, even when we, uh, even when we sold our house, we had a lump sum of money that came in and it was like, it was like, okay, cool. We can furnish the house that we moving in now. We got a little bit of money. We had a little bit of money to sit on. But I started noticing over time that money started getting soaked up. It got soaked up in taxes. It got soaked up in just other random expenses because we didn't actually have a, um, what I call a proactive financial strategy for what we were going to do with that money. So if your money is like little soldiers that's working for you, well, soldiers require maintenance. So if you just throw it in the bank, consider consider inflation like maintenance. If you're not covering the cost of inflation, you're paying maintenance in the you're, you're paying maintenance in the form of inflation. So if your money's just sitting in your in a savings account, right, in the next in the next few years, that money is not worth what it was worth, even if you don't spend any of it. You know what I'm saying? That's the cost of maintaining those soldiers. You know what I mean? So it's like instead. 
find something to do with those soldiers to where they working for you and they bringing more soldiers back or they bringing more money back. You know what I'm saying? So it's growing. So that was, that was a, you know, you, like I said, you take it from me. That was a lesson I learned the hard way. You know what I'm saying? So we're trying to build back up. And, and, and I mean, we still, like I said, me and my wife are like extremely blessed. So we still, you know, my wife is always figuring out ways to make money. I, I, I got a pretty decent job. So we, we, we not really hurting in that department. Yeah, definitely. And that's what that kind of leads to my next question. It's almost the opposite of the last question for the brothers and sisters that, you know, the husband and the wife both both making good money, you know, the bills paid, they have some residual income. But, you know, a lot of times, especially for the early 20s, you know, couples that get married, they have this extra income. They almost are like, you know, it's like a hot pocket in your hand. Should I spend this? Should I get a Birkin bag? Should I do this? So what advice would you give like a, a newly married couple? Both of the, the husband and wife both make good money, have great careers, but you know, at the end when they pay their bills, they have such uh, residual income. What would you recommend that they do with it early on? Well, so let's let's take a step back. So what I'm about to say might be considered a little controversial because you can't really prescribe uh, general ideas for you know uh, for families, right? Everybody, every every relationship is different, just like every person is different, right? But one of the things that I would recommend, so these are some recommendations. <laughs> one of the things that I would recommend is first starting out, figure it out. There's going to be some long nights. It's going to be some hard work. It's going to be some hard conversations to be had, but figure out how you can bring your money together. And the reason that I'm saying that is because I've, I've noticed it. And, and like I said, this is not a knock at all. I, but I've noticed that people tend to want to at, manage their money separately, even when they're married. So you got your money over here. You pay these certain bills over here. Your, your partner got this money over there. They pay these certain bills over there. And y'all are kind of doing it like that on a piecemeal way. And what I would say is figure out a way strategically to bring your money together as much as possible. And the reason for that is, first of all, you know, I'm a Christian, so I got to I got to talk about that. You know, coming from a Christian background, when you marry, you're together as one. So that means everything is one. That means your you all the resources and income and everything you bring in is supposed to be one. And and so and 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 so that's just the principle, but the but to me the practical part behind it is how can you build a strategy as one unit, but you got two separate sources of income with two separate ideas about how you want to manage and use that? So the idea is to, is to you got two superpowers, right? You bring them together, you merge them, you integrate them, and then you bring it under one mission. And then when you do that, what they always say, two heads are better than one. Well, well, two heads are better than one when it comes to everything. So now you can get together and the two of you can touch and agree on what strategically you should be able to be doing with your money. So you can create together a long-term plan uh, considering all the resources you have at your disposal. You see what I'm saying? Like for me, if I just do it, if I just do it for me, I can create a strategy for myself about how I want to do things long-term, right? But that's not including what my wife. So my wife might have some different ideas about, you know, we talked about some real heady ideas on this podcast, right? About like, you know, uh, self-actualization, what freedom means to you, what generational wealth means to you. Well, I got some ideas about that, but my wife might have some different ideas about that. So if we don't get together and get on the same page, then we got money going in two different directions. You know what I'm saying? And I can say a bunch of quotes, you know, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, if you want to go to the Bible, they say a two headed person doesn't advance. You want to talk about politics. They say a house divided against itself cannot stand. If you got two different ways that you're going, it's going to be very hard for you to make that generational wealth progress that you think you're going to do. And so what I've found is you could even, I, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, but I've talked to a couple and a lot of times what they're doing, especially with couples in the beginning, is trying to figure out what they think their overall uh, idea of, you know, self-actualization or their idea of economic freedom is and how can they bring those two things together. So that's the first recommendation I have for a young couple is sit down, have some hard conversations about what y'all think economic freedom is and how y'all can get under the same vision and what steps y'all could take to get so that all so that both of you can get exactly what y'all want out of the situation. Oh man, great, great information. Wow, great information, man. And you know, another thing that I love about you and your wife, man, you know, every summer y'all travel. Sometimes y'all come here to Orlando, 
y'all go overseas a lot. So that's why I want to jump in now. You know, we've had brothers and sisters from Medellin came on the show. Um, you know, you and the wife went down and I saw y'all had a wedding down in Medellin. Y'all was all over Columbia. Y'all was in like Cartagena and all. I hope I'm, you know, <laughs> you know, from the hood, I want to say Cartagena, but I know I'm trying to be yeah, professional yeah. Cartagena. So yeah. my, so my question to you, you know, jumping back in it is like I said, you guys are both well-traveled. You guys probably have more passport points than a lot of celebrities, man. I'm y'all be out here doing it, but for families out here that say, listen, you know, we see you guys as Facebook. We basically, you know, we live in vicariously through y'all summer trip. So, you know, from a financial perspective, how are you guys, you know, I know, I know, I know the money's nice, but I'm just saying like from a strategic planning perspective for couples out there, for families out there that say, you know, we want to do some traveling too. Like what type of money are y'all saving throughout the year? Are y'all in like travel clubs? Like, you know, hook, hook us up, man. Yeah, definitely. Like, like, shoot. Yeah, I should have brought my wife on. <laughs> she around. Hey, tell her pull up. She right around, like, you know. Nah, see, I gotta go, I gotta go upstairs and go get her. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe we'll do another one where we both get on or something. I don't know. But but oh, the other thing is, you know, you my bro, you know you can come on these trips too. <laughs> but um, the thing is, but she I, I gotta give her credit, man. She she always had the travel bug even before we got together. And um, she always, that's always been like, again, we talk about like ideas of economic freedom. That's always, that's always been one of her, that's always been one of her high priorities is I want to travel. Like, so, so um, what we tried to do and like, I'm not trying to act like it's like, it's been easy. You know what I'm saying? Like what we've tried to do is we tried to incorporate that into our planning as much as possible early on in our, in our marriage it was a little bit more difficult because again, like I just said, we had two different ideas of what we were trying to do. She was like, I'm trying to travel. And I'm like, well, look, you know, I'm trying to get rid of some of this debt we got, you know what I'm saying? Like, how are we going to balance this? So, you know, at first it was kind of like, she always had extra money and stuff like that. So she would be like, well, I'm putting the extra money on this trip and you could worry about the rest of the money and how you going to figure out the debt. You know what I'm saying? Um, here lately, we've been able to get on the same page. And so now it's part of our budgetary plan. It's like, boom, boom. Okay, we'll take this certain amount of money and we know we want to do this trip. So we'll put this money aside to do this trip. Um, she's part of a couple of trip clubs. Um, uh, it's called, so I think on Facebook, it's called the Nomadness Group, which is one of them. This is, I mean, this is just like, like, like worldly black folks, really, that, you know what I'm saying, that travel to different places in the world. So every year they're always going places. They're always going to different places. And so if we want to hook up with them, we can hook up with them and we can, we can find out where it is the next hot place to travel and we'll go out there. Uh, like I said, my wife has been traveling so long now. She has spots that she already knows that she wants to go to. And then we put our friends on, like I said, you want to come on a trip? We got, we have a group trip. We have a a group trip with just like our fam and friends every year that we do. You know what I'm saying? So we just, we just, uh, we just make sure that we put the plan ahead and we put the plan out. You know, we try to put it out at least a year in advance. So everybody has at least a year to get it done. Um, and then we just, and then we just uh, put money to the side and pay towards those trips. Um, and, and our whole group does it, you know what I'm saying? So everybody does it, but the main part about it is, uh, you have to make traveling a priority. If you don't make it a priority, it's just not going to happen. Like, and so why should we make traveling a priority? Well, if, if we're talking about black folks as black people, we should make traveling a priority because we are not just black Americans. And I'm going to speak, you know, obviously I'm biased, right? Because my parents are from Ghana, but we're not just black Americans. We're part of an entire diaspora. We're part of the African diaspora. And we need to understand that everywhere we go, you know, say in the world, uh, people are, you know, what African people are going through, what they live like, how they live. And when you travel, it opens up, man, it opens up your perspective so wide. Like, you know, you and I know we know people from the hood who haven't ever, ever left the neighborhood. They ain't left the block that they live on. You know what I'm saying? So your life and your experiences are only as big as what you can imagine in your mind. So if you if you've never left your block, your whole world is that block, but the world is a big place. You see what I'm saying? Like just in the next block, in the next city, they could be living a whole different way. So you thinking that life is some, this kind of way that's on your block. No, it's, it's, 
There's so many different ways that people can live. And so for me, that's part of people uh, uh, figuring out how to be free, understand the wide variety of ways that you can live, the wide variety of values people have and where they live and how they live and the different things they do and the different things you got access to. I'll just say it in my own experience, like being able to go since I've been uh, since I've been uh, either dating or married, I've been, I'm, I've, I've been this will be seven years coming up in December that we've been married. Um, you know, in the time that we've been dating over the last, uh, you know, either dating or married over the last 10 years, like we've been so many places. We went to Dubai. We went to Canada. We went to Mexico. We just came from Colombia. We've been a whole bunch of different places. And it just opens your eyes up to like how everybody lives, the things people go through what options are avail available to you in terms of places you can live and do different things. Now, well, we could talk about, you know, like you say, we had, we have folks from Colombia, so we could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I definitely went out to uh, Cartagena, which was awesome. You know what I'm saying? Um, what I would recommend uh, going out there is, is there's a tour company called that, that does a tour called the real Cartagena tour. And it's, it's black, it's a black owned tour. And what they do is they show you like, what the reality of just living in Cartagena is for black folks. So we went out, so we did that tour and that tour was awesome because we got to see, first of all, they they taught us about the six levels of economic classes that are in, that are in Cartagena. So, you know, the level six is the high upper classes, level level one is the lower classes. So we went from the highest class areas in, in Cartagena to the lowest class areas in Cartagena and got it and got the experience like like I don't know if you saw on Facebook when we did the salsa, we did the little salsa uh lessons. That was in the middle of the hood. That was in the park right in the middle of the hood. You know what I'm saying? Well be considered a level one area. So it was interesting to see you know what I'm saying uh, interesting and and in some ways disheartening right to see that the the uh the oppression that black people face is all over you know what I'm saying like because it was it's still attached to, even even in Colombia it's still attached to color you see what I'm saying and people don't say that the reason we don't experience it is because when we get to Cartagena we're not black we're american and that's different so when you travel and you got that blue passport for those who don't know for those who don't travel when you get a passport to travel to another country the american passport is blue every country got a different passport the american passport is blue a different color passport the american passport is blue when you pull out that blue passport you you are an american it don't matter what color you are you know what i'm saying and that comes with certain privileges you get certain privilege you get treated a certain way you get treated like you're upper class you get treated like you're rich you get treated and so a lot of people get intoxicated by that but what i would challenge people to do is to also understand the social and economic situations of the people who actually live there and see if there's some opportunities where we can network and help you know, because we have access to wealth over here that they don't have, that we could help to pull the diaspora up. So that was a long answer, but. <laughs> nah, nah, that was a great answer. And you kind of helping me transition to the next question, because yeah, as you said on this show, I mean, I mentioned, I know guys from East New York, Brooklyn, never been to Times Square. I know guys in Virginia and Hampton, never been to Virginia Beach. I mean, look at me. I've never been off you. I don't been to LA, Houston. I've never been off U.S. soil. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, uh, being African-American when we talk about our diaspora, how is how important is it for us to get off the block, if you will? Man, it's, it, I, I can't even I can't even put into words how important it is for all of us to get off the block because it's about it's about knowledge. The reason that we don't take advantage of some of these things that's out there or we don't understand who we are in certain ways is that we're just ignorant of it. And what I mean, I don't mean that like an insult. I mean, we just don't have the knowledge. We don't know. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in the Bible it says my people perish for lack of knowledge. Like that's why you stay in poverty. You see what I'm saying? That's why you stay with a uh, uh, a negative a negative or a deficit mindset is because you don't know. You see what I'm saying? You don't know what's out there for you. You don't know. Again, you don't know how people live. You don't know how you can connect. If you don't like where you are, move to somewhere else. Like, even if it's just in the States, like one of the reasons I came, I, you know, we, we started out in Southern Virginia, in Hampton, Virginia, 
uh, I'm and I when I went to when uh, I went to A&T for four years for college, uh, came back. I actually got my degree from Norfolk State University, got my bachelor's degree from Norfolk State University. And I was just out in the in this what we call the seven cities, you know what I'm saying? Um, trying to trying to make it out there. And what I noticed out there is that there wasn't enough, there wasn't that many jobs out there. You know what I'm saying? Not I couldn't really get the the I couldn't really get the standard of living that I was looking for with the opportunities that were in Hampton. So that's one of the reasons why I say, you know what, I need to get another degree because that's going that's going to add another uh, another piece of earning potential for me. You see what I'm saying? So I got another degree. And where do I need to get it? Where I need to get it, I'm going to go to Northern Virginia where they got more opportunities. So if you don't like what's going on in your environment, change your environment. You see what I'm saying? Like sometimes a simple change in your environment will do so much for you in terms of like giving you opportunities. So you got to get off that block. You got to leave the block, leave the block. You know what I'm saying? Just go, go to another city. You know what I'm saying? Go to another state, see how they do out there. See if you can start, turn over a new leaf out there. Like if things aren't going over right, it's negative. Too many people out there, go to another state. But a lot of people are afraid. And so I would just say, don't be afraid. Go to another state, go to another city, go somewhere and start a different and get a different experience. And then when you get to a certain point, start looking at going to another country just to visit. I say you got to live it because I, I, I still ain't seen a place that I want to live more than America. That's just me. You know what I'm saying? But go to another place, see how other values are. It, it might be a, a place out there that jives with you better. Uh, than even living in America. So, you know, there's so many opportunities out here in the world for you to just uh, contain yourself to to like one block. Great information, man. Let's go back, man. You know, we started off in Cartagena, but I noticed, you know, you guys ended up in Medellin. You know, we've had like three guests from Medellin that live in Medellin, but they're from St. Louis on the show. Um, so when you first, I mean, obviously you've been on Black Men Sunday, so you heard what they were saying. So they kind of got rid of his black people out there, his money out there. But when you got to Medellin, what was that experience like for you and your family? Man, well, first of all, it was just me and my wife that went out there. I didn't take the kids out out for this trip, but uh, but it was so it's interesting, right? Like like coming Cartagena and Medellin are two are totally different, by the way. You know what I'm saying? So. Cartagena is like it reminded me of like not as a, a not as advanced Miami like it's it's kind of like my it's, it's a beach city you know what I'm saying and it's a resort city whereas Medellin is like an advanced city like it's like it's like New York except if New York was like in the mountains and the jungle <laughs> like the views was I, I mean I can't explain it to you. You got to really go. It's it's a beautiful city. Like the views were incredible. Like you get there, you get to Medellin, and you're in the middle of the city, but you look off into the distance, and there's a huge mountain range out there, and it's trees growing. You know what I'm saying? They 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 keep their greenery, so it's trees growing in between the buildings and all of that. But it's the city, though. You know what I'm saying? So it's much more upscale. You know, definitely, you know, that's definitely where the more successful people are going to be is going to be in Medellin, man. And it was just it was an awesome experience out there. Obviously, we went out there for a wedding. We had an awesome time. Um, we did we did get a chance to go to we did. We went to a, we, went, we went on a tour. We went on like um, uh, what's called. Uh, I think it's called Community 13. We went out there. Community 13 is actually where Pablo uh, Pablo Escobar uh, uh, came from. So we got a chance to go out there and see um, what it was like out there. Uh, and take a, and get a piece of the culture out there, and that and that and the culture out there is 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 awesome. But it's like stuff that we're familiar with because it's 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 black, it's it's hip hop, it's you know what I'm saying they're they're out there dancing, they they break dancing out there, they got graffiti on the walls, like that's just how they roll out there, you know what I'm saying. And so it was awesome to get a chance to experience that culture, um, see the they got they got what they call they got escalators actually built into the mountains, so. So uh, I'm going to try to give you a piece of history. I hope I don't get it wrong. But when they started out, you know, they had, you know, it's still a big distribution center for drugs, right? Uh, uh, Medellin is. It's like a huge distribution center for drugs, uh, for cocaine. But um, but but the history of that is that they used to, you know, they used to get the cocaine from like the mountains and they used to bring it. Um, they used to bring it in to uh, to this uh, to this uh, neighborhood, Community 13, um, and so what happened was like the, you know, the organizations that was trying to deal the drugs, they took over this one 
this one neighborhood, you know what I'm saying, outside of the, like, outside of the uh, regulation of the government. So when they took it out, so when they took it over outside of the regulation of the government, you know, they were just kind of running the city. And so they, and so they built the city out of whatever they could, you know, find and they built the houses and everything. So they built them into the mountains. So like, it's like houses built on top of each other, like they stacked on top of each other. So when they finally was able to clear, you know, all the gangsters out and there's a, there's, there's a whole crazy story of, uh, you know, of how they had to do that. But when they were finally able to clear all the gangsters out, what they did was they built escalators into the mountains so people would have an easier time getting to their houses because you know you got some older people having to you know walk up like 90 steps to get to their house so they built escalators so people could get to their house in the mountains yo into the mountains they built imagine escalators inside the mountains to you know what i'm saying it's so crazy so that became a tourist attraction and that's actually what made that particular neighborhood really pop for people so now people go out there uh, to see the escalators, to hear the stories, to understand the history. And it's just awesome. And there's also, you know, like I said, we could go into it, but there's also a racial component to that as well. So it's like, it's just good to go out and just like learn um, about different things, different people are doing. That was really interesting to me, just uh, how they were able to innovate um, to help people get to their houses and stuff like that. So, yeah, man. Oh, that was awesome, man. Yeah, because I was going to say earlier, um, y'all went to Italy and it was funny because, you know, I see y'all in Italy. Then now I see I'm seeing all the celebrities in Italy now. I'm like, oh, my, my man, I already did that. But I, I kind of want to, you know, since you have the Ghanaian roots, I kind of want to want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, I've heard when, you know, a lot of brothers that's never been to the motherland other than Africa, they say Ghana's like Miami and Nigeria is like New York. So I'm just saying for you. You know, as parents from Ghana, you know what I'm saying? And like, because I, I remember as a kid, y'all y'all would just disappear. I'm like, yo, where you was at? You was like, oh, man, I went I went to Ghana. Like you mm -hmm. always said, your parents always, y'all like every X amount of years, y'all would always go over there. So I'm saying, let's talk about that a little bit. Because like, like I said, I'm a brother. I've never been off the soil. There's a lot of brothers that feel like I, that, you know, haven't been off the soil too. So I'm just saying like, give us give us some Ghanaian love while we on here, man. It's, it's yeah, Black sure. Man Sunday. Let's go. Yeah, sure. Sorry, I'm looking away. I'm trying to see this. There's this one spot, and just before I talk about Ghana, there's this one spot in in Colombia, and I'm so mad right now. I can't remember the name, but like we went, we went out there, and they still live out there. It's, it's out in Cartagena. They still live out there. Um, you know, uh, like, uh, like the uh African immigrants that came because African immigrants came. To Colombia, you know what I'm saying? So that's why it's like it's like Afro-Latino, you know what I'm saying? And I'm mad I can't remember the name right now, but there's this village out there um that is um that they still live like the old traditional ways, like the old traditional African ways. So we got a chance to go out there and check that out. So it's like again, understanding that you know, Africa, I guess this is bringing it full circle, right? Understanding that Africa is the motherland and that a lot of the things that we do as whether you be, you know, Afro, you know, Afro Latino, or you be, you know, saying uh, uh, a black American or, or whatever you be, a lot of the traditions and different things you, you do still come from Africa. You know what I'm saying? It's still, you still got that cultural connection. So yeah, but, but talking about Ghana yeah I mean so 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 like Ghana like yeah you go to Accra I, people say that because yeah if you go to Accra which is the capital city of Ghana like man the beaches is, is incredible like if you go to the beach like got the white sand and all that you know what I'm saying so I guess that's why they call it they call it like the Miami of Ghana or some people call it that so because you have like in terms of the resort feel you had the clubs you got the you know the nightlife is popping a little bit, and then you got you got the uh, um, you got the beaches there. You know what I'm saying? I've I've never actually been to I've never actually been to Nigeria. I've never been to Lagos, but Lagos is like it's like the most populous city. So Lagos, Nigeria, Lagos is the capital of Nigeria. Uh, Lagos is like the most populous city in the world. People don't even know that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's got like the most people per capita. You know what I'm saying? Or per uh, per square mile in the world. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. It's a huge city, lots of people, lots of hustle and bustle, things you can get into, you know what I mean? <laughs> out in out in Lagos. So that's so that's I think that's probably why they call it the New York, New York, because it's it's like that. It's it's you gotta get your hustle on out there. I have a friend of mine, and I'm and and you know, I'm listening to you know everything you're talking about, Africa and everything. Yeah. One thing yeah. I will really open my eyes. I have a homeboy who I grew up with. I mean, we've been friends, we're still friends to this day. 
Uh, we've been friends since the third grade. Right. He recently moved to Africa. Actually, he moved to Cape Town in oh, Africa. South Africa. Okay. South Africa, yeah. And he first told me about Africa, you know, of course, growing up, we would see, you know, we was wondering, like, why would you want to go to Africa? Well, actually, his job sent him there. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me about, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And he was telling me how beautiful the place is. Mm -hmm. And because of the images that we would see, the first thing you hear of Africa, the first thing you would see is the commercials of um, poorness, poverty. You know, you see people starving and famine and 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 everything. And that's the first impression we as Black people get when we see, I mean, not just Black people, anybody get when you right. see that because it's always these help the world. And that's the first thing you see, you know, they starving, dying, a bunch of flies and stuff, just the poverty side. And he was telling me, man, no, man, it's not like that. It's just like here in the United States, I can show you some poor places in the United States that look bad. And immediately you would think that, you know, that's what the United States is like. Because when he was there at the time, that's this is when, you know, when we have the, the uh, Black Lives Matter movement was going on, was very heavily, and, and, and a lot of police brutality was going on. And they was asking him, like, you know, why would you want to live in America where they treat Black people so poorly? Because that's what they see. Because the whole world was seeing the stuff. And he really opened my eyes with a lot. Because he would send me pictures about the beaches. And he said, man, we got malls. We got this. It's just like being in America, man. But it's just different. You know, the, the vibe is different. And it really opened my eyes that I wanted to visit there. And mm -hmm. something else he was sharing with me about how big. A lot of people don't know how big the continent of Africa really is. Because in mm -hmm. Africa, you can fit the United States, you can fit China, you can fit the Soviet Union. You, I mean, you can fit maybe seven, eight countries inside the continent of Africa. I, and I also met someone who was from Ghana, and they was telling me they live, you know, you know, I'm just saying, how far is Ghana from Cape Town? And they said, well, you know, it's on the west side of, of, of the continent of Africa. So I was like, wow, it's in you know, just show me on the map where it was, everything. Like, man, that is impressive. They made me want to go just to see that and, you know, experience that. Because I know that's, you know, I think everyone should, should want to go there just to see what it's like, you know. And there's something interesting I, I noticed you was telling me about that all Americans have, because I have my blue, I have a blue passport. Well, it's a passport. This course is blue. Right. And I didn't know there were different colors for passports. I thought it was a passport with a passport. Right. You know, so that's... Yeah, no, you know, that... That blue passport. I think there are other countries with blue passports, but but they're di they're generally different colors. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. like that blue passport, it carries a certain status when you go when you go overseas and you and and as a I think I think one of the things that like a lot of black people when they go overseas and they get they have they get certain experiences that's what makes them feel like at home in other countries is because they got that blue passport and it's like, oh, this is what it feels like to be treated like 100% equal. You know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> like, like because now, it, it, it because again, like I said, now it's not, yeah, you're American, but you're Black. You know what I'm saying? No, nah, yeah. it's like, you go over there, it's like, no, you're, you're an American. And they give you like service, like you're an American, like it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. your color doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? So um, because they can tell, right? They can tell that you're American from the way you dress, the way you walk, talk, you know, they can tell that you're American. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what I would say, what I would say about that is that, um, and this is this is something that I do believe is like one of my purposes in life is like trying to bridge the gap between Africa and what I would say for the purposes of this conversation, black Americans and 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 Africans or black people in the diaspora, because by design, you know what I'm saying, by systemic design, we've been taught to be divided from each other. And so because of that, we've been, we on both sides, we've been fed negative information about each other. So on the one hand, if you're a, if you're a Black America, a Black American, right, you've been taught that mm -hmm. Africa is a poor place, but you've not right. been taught the history, you've not been taught the history as to why maybe since the 1950s that Africa hasn't, that certain countries in Africa haven't um developed economically you know what i mean right. it's a whole deep history of 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 you know of what they're doing in terms of global trade in terms of resources and different things like that 
On the other hand, what we don't know living in America, right, is that Africans also get negative images of black Americans. So mm -hmm. they, get the, they get the the quote unquote hip hop images. You know what I'm saying? They right. get, the, oh, black people, because because you got to understand like America to everybody else in the world, America seems like paradise. Like everybody feel like like. Other people, other places in the world, you see this as you travel more. Other people, other places in the world look at America like everybody in America is rich. Like everybody is rich. Everybody mm -hmm. in America is rich. Like that's the idea. So imagine. And it's trash, huh? <laughs> and it's trash because of health care and yeah, other yeah, 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 uh, yeah, civil yeah. liberties like, that we don't have. You right, know, right. how segregated it really is. Right. We don't take care of our people as well as people mm -hmm. would imagine that we do. Right. So like so like there's that part of it. Right. So imagine if you're sitting in your country and you're like, wow, America's paradise. But then there's this group of people, black people who's always been portrayed as like thugs or always being portrayed as the ones doing crime. Why are you doing crime in paradise? You know what I'm saying? Like right. that's what's going through their minds. So right. when they come over here as immigrants, you know what I'm saying? And then we interact, like historically we've interacted, right? Then sometimes that can, there can be tension and conflict there, right? Because as a black American, we might be coming over and saying, oh, you know what I'm saying? You, you coming from this poor country, uh, you know what I'm saying? You ain't, I, I don't even associate with you as a black person. You know what I'm saying? Because, because you just some poor person from another country, right? You don't even speak right. You know what I'm saying? But they looking at you now, 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 if, now, if, if, if we're giving off that energy as Americans, now an African might look at, at us and say, well, hey, I don't really want to, first of all, now you insulted me. Second of all, now I don't even want to associate with you because all I've ever heard about you and your people is how y'all are thugs and how y'all do crime and da, 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 da. So we being, so, so again, for a reason, purposely, as people we've been, uh, we've been, um, we're been, we've been separated. And I've experienced that on both sides where, you know, I talk to my brothers in America and they got a certain opinion about Africans. And I talk to my brothers uh, in Africa, my family members, you know what I mean? I got cousins and stuff, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, well, yo, they, they, da, 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 you know what I'm saying? And it's like, and, and my, and, and on both sides, I'm always like, let's just get together. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, we all, we all the same people. And it's so like, it becomes like, if you just go to Africa, you know what I'm saying? Like, like most of us came from West Africa, but it, but mm -hmm. I would recommend going anywhere in Africa. If you just go to Africa, you will see that we are the same people. Like you mm -hmm. Africa, mm -hmm. somebody who looked just like you, or you yeah. look just like your uncle or somebody mm -hmm. who looks like your cousin. And you're like, oh, they the same people and we do the same things you know what i'm saying you know it's funny it's funny you say that because when i lived in florida it was the yeah. same way me coming yeah. to florida and yeah. and met with people who were from haiti from haiti and 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 you know uh south africans and things of that sort and you know they look just like us Right. Well, you look just like us but until you speak and that's where the accent comes in so, oh i love that accent where are you from and so I'm originally from Haiti, I'm from here and from there. And I was amazed, like, you know, like, wow. Because that was like a big kind of a culture shock for me because yeah. uh, Florida was the only state, other than Alabama, that's the only state I actually lived in. They right. didn't live through time. So, I mean, I visited other states, but I never lived and actually got a chance to right. spend some time there. So, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, and it's like, and and like I said, just the more you travel, the more you see it. Like, like I said, we went to Colombia, you know, mm -hmm. and we we got a chance to interact with you, the, you know, the, like I said, the Afro Colombians there. They, they, they. A lot of their stuff is like African traditional stuff, mm -hmm. and then now they're taking on, you know, Black American culture. Like I said, they break dancing and doing graffiti out there. Then we yeah. got a chance to go out. The name of the the name of the village I wanted to talk about uh, out in Cartagena is called Palenque. Um, so it's the Palenque village. We got a chance to go out there and actually see how they're still living like Africans there. And they they embrace the same thing. They're like, we're all part of the diaspora. We're all the same people. The only difference is when slavery occurred, some of us avoided the slavery. Some of us got dropped off in Haiti or the Dominican Republic. Republic. Some of us got dropped off in Puerto Rico. Some of us got dropped off in South America. And of course, some of us got dropped off in North America. So that's the only difference. Is over the time period is we've been a, we've been 
uh, uh, you know, in contact with these other different cultures. And so that's what makes us different. But as a people, as black people, we're not different. And the way, right. And the way you can understand and know that, you know, getting to the point we've been talking about is traveling the world. But that's the thing that, again, by design, we don't necessarily get the opportunity to do. Right. Because if we travel the world and we see that we are the same, then we can start leveraging and pooling resources in a way that we probably haven't done before. And that's mm -hmm. something, you know, that's something that could become something that's a real formidable thing for us in terms of generational wealth and economic freedom. First off, my man, Kalali, man, you know, you know, you in the hot seat today. Yeah, How does it feel, yeah. man? You enjoying yourself on Black Men Sundays? Man, I mean, you, you, you hear every show, but I mean, how right, you right, doing right. the other side, though? Right, right, right. Nah, man, you know, I love, I love Black Men Sunday, man. This has become like one of the highlights of my week, man. I'm glad. I'm glad that you had the idea to start this, and I'm glad we continue. We we continuing on with it, man, because you know, I it's just like I said, we get a chance every week to talk to like awesome people. You know what I'm saying? Share this knowledge. Hopefully, we're getting the knowledge out to you know a lot of people who who could really use it. You know, I think it's one of the ways that we're you know as black men working to give back to our communities as people who have made it to a certain level. Not to say like we better than anybody else, but you know, if I've got access to certain amounts of information and I can have a way to put it out to people that don't have access to that information, yeah, let's let's get that done, man. So, nah, man, you know, every week I enjoy it. I love Black Men Sunday, man, for real. So my man, Kalali Dogbay, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. You've been What's here. Up, we're almost 70 episodes deep. You've always been here from day one before we even realized this was going to be a podcast. So I appreciate you. I appreciate, yeah, you know, your family showing me love all them years back in the day, man. I appreciate yeah. being in your wedding. I appreciate you being the best man of mine. What's I appreciate up? you, you know, sending me that Fire Dark Caesar album that I think I don't yeah. want to throw out of. I just appreciate <laughs> all that, man. And, yeah. you know, and many blessings to you, my brother. Peace. Thank you. Peace. Peace. It's a black man, son.